0: Did you uh, see Sanford and Son last night? I don't watch television. I don't even own a television. Notice I didn't
2: say TV. TV is a nickname, and nicknames are for friends, and television is no friend of mine. You want to go see a
1: movie then? Maybe go see that what, about the coupon? I only go and see
0: foreign films. You want to listen to some CDs? Oh, please, compact disc, blow. People were not meant to hear music with such clarity. People need to hear snaps and pops and that shit.
2: The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello again friends and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast where we take a look across the media wasteland, the vast media wasteland, and pick apart the things that you should be watching, should be listening to, and pre- should probably leave on the garbage heap. And since this is the Thanksgiving edition of this show, I just I have to say that I, I'm very thankful for the, uh, the amount of movies and television and music that's being cranked out these days and available online for free. Um, I mean, really, with just... Uh, cheap subscriptions to monthly services and I mean it's a, we, we live in a great age for us to be vegetables sitting on our couches watching TV shows over and over again just episode after episode it's, it's truly a paradise for, for folks like us who like to do that now so uh, I think we have to be thankful for that and hopefully the Stream Police Podcast is something that uh, you know, you're know you mentioning around the Thanksgiving table this year with your family is something that you're thankful for. <laughs> um, let's get to the show. I'm, uh, I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. A little bit later on in the program, we'll be hearing from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, my partner in crime. Uh, let me start the show, as I always do, with my Stogie of the Week. I've got uh, with me today a Connecticut Therapy by Nomad Cigar Company. Nomad Cigar Company. I paid a I paid a few bucks for this one, so let me let me go ahead and spark this bad boy up. All right. All right. I'm going to immediately say that I don't I don't like the flavor of this one. Just just doesn't appeal to me. Really. Just right off the top. Construction, very solid. This is very this is a solid cigar, but the taste too bitey, too bitey for my taste. It's kinda like when you drink coffee and like you get that acidy uh, flavor in there if somebody doesn't make it quite the right way. That's that's what I'm getting here. Not this one's not going on my favorite list. Connecticut therapy by Nomad. I won't I won't be getting any love letters from them. All right, let's uh let's get to some listener emails here because I did get a couple really good ones um in the last few weeks that I wanted to mention here. Uh, at the opening of the show. And I appreciate you guys always writing in. If you have any thoughts about anything I'm, I'm talking about, you have questions you want answered on the show, always love to do that. We love interaction. Uh, I know Andy does as well, and he always gives his email address. Mine, though, is theclintdavis at gmail.com. T H E, Clint Davis at gmail.com. Uh, Tyler P wrote us up, one of our. Uh, longest listeners, Tyler P., he wrote in and said that he loved Life in Pieces on CBS after we recommended it here on the show. I talked about how I feel like this is really one of the funniest family uh, sitcoms that's on right now. And when I say family, I don't mean like it's four families. I mean it's about a family. Um, and th- this show really is just it's, – it's written so well. Uh, Tyler said – Quote, I love the easy watch, especially since NBC gave up on Thursday night comedy. And I was thinking about him him saying that because this show is on Thursday nights on CBS. And you think about NBC Thursday night, must-see TV. It was always just the bastion of great TV comedy, even if the shows weren't always great. They were funny shows, and they were like the important sitcoms of – of the day on networks, Uh, but you look at NBC's Thursday lineup right now. we got the Heroes reboot, we've got the Blacklist, and the Player, the one with uh, Wesley Snipes that nobody's watching. So that's the lineup on Thursday night right now. That used to be the spot for, like, it was 30 Rock, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, those were all on at one time. Before that, you had Seinfeld, Friends, Cheers, Cosby Show, even though I guess we can't talk about that one anymore. Those were all on Thursday night on NBC. So Tyler brings up another a good point there. Where can, where can you turn now? I guess once again, scheduling on television is not really held up to the standard that it used to be at one point because everyone watches everything a day late or a week late or whatever. So the night it's on maybe doesn't matter so much anymore. Uh, but, uh, Tyler also did call me out on something in his email. In addition to saying that he loved the recommendation of life in pieces. Um, he called me out on something I said last week on the show. I, I, I talked about, uh, he posed an interesting question to me. Uh, I, I talked about going when I was in Nashville to a, a little art theater and watching Fantasia on the big screen. I'd never seen it. It was 75th anniversary. Never, I had never seen it in a theater. I'd seen the movie numerous times but wanted to see it in theater. And I got mad because somebody brought their little kid with them, and the kid was talking the whole time and just t- totally taking me out of it, and the kid was frightened, and it was just not a good – just don't take your kid to the art theater is what I said. So Tyler asked me, he says, fast forward five to ten years, is Clint Davis – and his wife bringing their kids to watch a re-release of an animated or a young, like, kids cinema classic. He said, I don't have a good example. Lion King in 3D already came out, but maybe like a re-release of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Wouldn't you want to share that big screen experience um, with your kid? And I had to think about it, and I said, yeah, I would. I would want to take my kid to go see. I like that he picked Pee-wee's Big Adventure, by the way, um, which has always been one of my favorites. And I did review that one on reviewcom a while ago. Uh, but, yeah, the I, I would want to, so maybe I would be hypocritical, but my answer to that would be that i, I would wait until the right age i mean taking uh, if' just taking like a five year old this girl was like four or five years old, like you could just tell she didn 't get it now, other people had their kids in the theater i didn 't mention them last week, but other people had kids this this dad brought two of his kids they were two girls one you i think was like twelve the other one seemed like she was maybe like nine or ten i 'm horrible with ages they could have been eighteen and, and sixteen but these these kids totally got it. Like, they weren't talking at all. And then after the movie ended, they were even talking, like, about what different things meant. And they were having a good conversation about the film. And, and you could tell, I mean, there's a huge difference there between, like, a 4-year-old and, and a 12-year-old talking about this movie. So I think it's all about the age. You know, when you're 5, when the kid's 5, maybe keep them at the big cinema when the, the guaranteed kid-pleasers come out or just watching movies at home on Netflix. And then when they get older, you take them to the theater and you talk about the movie. and. You know, you have to be cognizant there are other people around, especially at an art theater where people are pretty serious about the movie that they're watching. But, Tyler, man, good question. I I always like being called out on my BS. So I think I had a good answer for you, though. One more email. Glenn B. wrote us up. Uh, Always glad to hear from Glenn. I know he's a he's a a diligent TV watcher as well. He thanked me for recommending how to get away with murder, said that he had not seen the show. And that after hearing me rave about it on uh, the stream, police, he and his wife ripped through the first season on Netflix, which it is on Netflix right now if you want to watch it. And he loved it. And like I said, I know Glenn is a discerning TV viewer. I know that from knowing him. Um, and I am glad that uh, that worked out for him. That show continues to engage me every week, and I feel like the second season is uh, every bit as stout as the first season was. And I just, I'm still impressed by how to get away with murder. It's it's just a it's a cool show, and it's just so gripping, um, and and well done. They've just they've really got a handle on the the tone of that show, the way they want it to look and sound, and the music is some of the best music that I hear on TV every week. And I just, I, I love it, love that show. So glad Glenn enjoyed it as well. Um, if you uh, ever want to write us up, again, my email address is theclintdavis at com. All right, let's get to some films uh, right now. Actually, just one in theaters now that I saw last week that I wanted to mention. Now, two weeks ago on the show, I talked about Steve Jobs, the Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin biopic of Steve Jobs. I talked about how much I loved it, loved the film. Uh, to me, it's my favorite movie that I've seen so far in this award season, early on in the award season, I saw another one that rivaled it, but I didn't quite like quite as much as Steve Jobs, but I really liked it, and I could definitely see it being up for some awards this year. It's a movie called Room, directed by Lenny Abramson, and it stars Brie Larson, who you may remember as the sister of Amy Schumer in Trainwreck, which just came out this summer. She's young. She's still a, a very you know new actress on the scene, but this is kind of her big breakout dramatic role. It also starred a young kid named Jacob Tremblay, who plays her son in the film. This was a powerful powerful little movie that was an acting powerhouse from the two of them. Let me break down the movie for you real quick. Again, it's called Room. It is about a mother, young mother and her son. The son is supposed to be I believe 7 years old and she is supposed to be um, she's supposed to be like 25 years old. They've been locked in this room by a guy who kidnapped the He kidnapped her when she was 18 years old. Two years into it, she had the kid. So she's been locked in this room for like nine years, and she's got the kid there with her as well. Now, he's never been outside this room. They're in this garden shed that is just a tiny – it's a tiny room. You can see it wall to wall. It's got a little kitchen. It's got a bed. It's got a heater and all this stuff. It's got a TV, and they're kept – Hostage, just living in this room by this guy who keeps—he comes in, he rapes her continuously. He's the father of the kid. He brings them food. He explains to her that he's doing them a favor because the world sucks. I mean, it's a very—it's just one of these movies that is about something very warped and something that has happened to real people um, and is based on many true stories. But uh, the movie is is powerful, and it's about them in the room, and then them trying to get out of the room eventually and adapting once they are able to get out of the room. So it's just, uh, like I said, very powerful movie. Um, And it might sound like that would make for a boring setup, but watching these two actors together, Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay, is so rewarding to see and it's such a believable mother-son dynamic and all the ugliness that goes along with that relationship and just it it's not a movie about people at their best but it is also optimistic in the end which was one of the things that really surprised me uh brie larson i feel like is going to get a lot of oscar buzz for this breakout performance uh expect to hear her name come up uh, possibly for a best leading actress nomination this year but it's that young kid man jacob tremblay this kid was nine years old And he carries his weight, and he makes this film even better than it would have been if just she had been really good, which she was amazing. But this kid was outstanding. I'm telling you, I bought him every single minute. And this is a demanding part. This is your plan a part. You have to pretend you're a kid who's never seen the world before. You've never been outside of a room. The whole the whole world is this room to you. He talks to the chairs. He talks to the bed. He talks to the furniture, the sink. They are like his friends and Dora on TV. And he thinks that the he thinks that what's going on in TV is like the only other thing in the world, which uh, gets into this whole other commentary about media. But the, the film is so it, it's it's straightforward enough. Like I said, kid's nine years old, and he's already given a performance better than most adult actors would ever hope to give. And he could certainly get nominated. Um and I don't know if he would get nominated for supporting or lead. I would think lead because he really does carry uh, the film himself. But uh, being that he's a little kid, uh, and I think he'd have a better chance of getting nominated for supporting actor with people like Leonardo DiCaprio and Fassbender and, uh, and Johnny Depp going to be up probably for the leading actor uh, Oscars this year. Uh, but, yeah, I would not complain at all if this kid gets nominated for an Oscar. Young, young kid. Like I said, I think he's he's 10 years old now, 9 years old when they filmed— or he's 9 years old now, 8 years old when they filmed the movie, and he's he's outstanding. The movie asks some very, very hard questions, though, about a situation like this and uh, about parenthood in general. Um, it asks you uh, things like, at what point does keeping your kid in, in a bad situation and squalor make you a selfish person as a parent versus giving them up— to a situation that could be a little bit better. That's what uh, we have to look at Brie Larson's character as the mother and, and think about this. I mean, is she a good person? Is she a bad person for keeping the kid in there with her for so long just to keep her company? Um, it was just, it was a really well done movie and it got down in the dirt. It was uplifting in a way that I feel like not many human dramas are now, especially indies. And I, I just, I liked the 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 cast also uh, Joan Allen was in it William H Macy which was cool because it was like a mini Pleasantville reunion because they played former spouses and remember they were married in Pleasantville I, that's one of my favorite movies ever um, but uh, but yeah it was just a very very well done movie so Room directed by Lenny Abramson starring Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay it's in uh, it's in theaters now. And definitely look for this one to be mentioned with the Oscars. And look for it if you if you want to see a human drama, and if you like a, a film about a mother son story, which I feel like is the parent. You never see that story mother son. You see mother daughter a lot. We see father son. I I feel like we we even see father daughter stories, but we do. Mother son just, just seems to get swept under the rug a lot. And this was a really really good movie about that relationship. And, uh, I mean, just in the worst situation possible. And these two, these two people bringing each other close. But it wasn't sappy at all. Like I said, it wasn't afraid to get into the dirt. Do you remember
1: how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, down, down deep in a hole. Right. Well, I wasn't always in room. I'm like Alice. I was a little girl named Joy. Nah. When I was a little older, when I was 17...
0: I was walking home from Where school. Where was I? You were still up in heaven, but there was a guy. He pretended that his dog was what sick. What guy? Old Nick. We call him Old Nick. I don't know what his real name is, but he pretended his dog was What's sick. What's the th- dog's name? Jack, there wasn't a dog.
1: He was trying to trick me, okay?
0: There wasn't a dog. Old Nick stole me. I want a different story. No, this is the story that you get.
2: All right, let's switch to television now. I want to talk about a show that I have been a huge fan of ever since uh, it debuted two years ago. This was one of those shows that I stumbled upon completely accidentally. Um, just happened to see it in the the streaming list on Amazon Prime, and I, I was because I was scanning through what shows Comedy Central had and watching South Park, and then I'm done with South Park, and and all of a sudden I see Nathan for you. And I didn't know anything about this show, didn't know jack about it. The only thing after I looked into it, um, finding out was that it was uh, produced by uh, Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim, Tim and Eric from Tim and Eric Awesome Show, Great Job, one of my favorite shows of the last 10 years. Uh, as far as a sketch comedy show goes, I just I, I hold it up there way high. Uh, but I knew they produced it, so I figured it probably had to at least be pretty good. And I fell in love with this show immediately. It's called Nathan for You. It's on Comedy Central Thursdays at 10. It's in the middle of season three right now. And this is one of those shows that is so simple that a 15-second opening in the show explains the entire premise beautifully. My name is Nathan Fielder, and I graduated from one of Canada's top business schools with really good grades.
1: Now I'm using my knowledge to help struggling small business owners
2: make it in this competitive world. This is Nathan for you. So you've got this guy Nathan Fielder. He's basically like a doofus, very dry, and and the the format of the show is supposed to mirror one of those like Discovery Channel, uh, Fox, TLC, whatever reality shows where like you've got a Gordon Ramsay or some kind of some kind of guy who's like. uh, this Guru on business or restaurants or whatever it may be or bars, and he goes into he goes in to help these struggling business owners and and becomes the white knight and helps them save their business um, that 's kind of what this show is, but it's it 's obviously it 's a comedy so you got this guy who 's like this milk toast white bread um, Canadian kid who has like hardly any business acumen um, on the surface. And he's going to these struggling businesses and trying to help them. And it's all it's it's like a documentary style show. These are real. These are not. It's not scripted as far as the businesses. These are real businesses. Um, and, and he's trying to help them out with these crazy plans. And it's all done in such a dry, serious matter that it feels like the show could be on PBS or something. It's not like over the top and, and goofy at all. Um, but but the ideas he comes with sometimes are genius. Nathan, for you though, I'm going to tell you that. It's better sometimes than others, and there are three episodes of this show that to me stand out as outstanding borderline academic television from this series. So if you're going to watch three episodes of Nathan for you, I'm going to give them to you right now, the three you need to go out and check out because these are outstanding, especially if you have any interest in uh, in marketing. If you have any interest in in business, if you have any interest especially like in small business and, and theories of, of how to drive up consumerism, the, these three episodes are outstanding. Um, one from each season so far. So season one, first off. There was an episode called Santa slash Petting Zoo. It was a, the, most of the episodes have a slash in the middle. He does two parts, you know, one for fifteen minutes, one for the other fifteen minutes. This one's called Santa slash Petting Zoo. When I first realized the true genius of this show was when I watched this episode. The episode picked apart the business of taking a vi- a video and making it go viral. And Nathan Fielder almost showed that it can be like a science as long as you have the right ingredients. you can make any video go viral and it's it's like what people will watch on the internet boils down to a certain formula, and he figures it out he's he's helping the the idea of this episode is he's supposed to help a small petting zoo he's been hired by this this California petting zoo that is not making enough money, and so they've hired him to to figure out what he can do to raise their profile so he figures out that a viral video is going to be just the thing. So he sets up and stages this really elaborate shoot, hires all these this, this director, these stunt people, these hired animals, sets up this elaborate shoot for a 30-second clip that shows a pig saving a drowning baby goat. That was the premise of the video. They pulled it off beautifully, and the video... Took off. They uploaded it on YouTube, and it got millions of views. And Nathan had to later, it, it like news organizations picked it up. They were showing it on TV, and then Nathan later admits that it was a hoax. And so they they have the shots of all these TV, like Fox News and CNN, and all these these TV uh, reporters going back and saying, "Well, this this was made up, and it was part of this TV show on Comedy Central." And but it was just it was brilliant, and it like I said, totally boils down, breaks down. The business of how to make th- something go viral.
1: When I woke up the next morning, I was astounded to see the video had been posted on Gawker, E-bombs World, and a bodybuilding message board. It had over 3,000 views, and that was way more than I ever expected. Then I saw it was climbing the charts on Reddit. Then I checked the view count an hour later. Holy sh.
0: By the way, this may sound like a sea rescue, but a goat, a baby goat, gets stuck in water. This is some pig. You have to see it. A goat at a petting zoo got stuck in a lake. This really happened. That was cool. Uh, have no fear there's a pig there i mean you couldn't do this at uh warner brothers as a cartoon to make it seem uh, uh more realistic we're, we were duty bound to pass this on it's the leading web video today while we have no way of knowing if it's real this was apparently shot at a petting zoo that's a baby goat who got
2: out into too deep water begins crying for help enter this pig the second Wonderful episode of Nathan for you that I'm going to mention that if you're getting into the show, you need to check out from season two. This is an episode called dumb Starbucks. That's the episode. This was another episode that made national news for the premise of it before people discovered that it was part of a Nathan for you stunt. People thought it was a real thing again before they realized it was a stunt for this show. So he's helping a small coffee shop in California make more cash. That's the premise behind this one. Guy owns a coffee shop. He's like, we're not making any money. There's a Starbucks down the street. Uh, they, you know, basically we charge as much as they do and we make this great coffee and nobody comes here because, you know, they, there's a Starbucks down the street. So that's where they're going to go. They know the, the logo. They know everything. He discovers, Nathan discovers that there's a copyright law loophole that can be exploited. In which you're allowed to use a company's logo and other copyrighted materials, the name of the company, all the logos, the artwork, everything, as long as it's for a parody. So so basically he takes this business and he names the business Dumb Starbucks. He's got the Starbucks logo. He just writes the word dumb in front of it. And he's got the same, the mermaid, all that stuff, the green, the white cups, everything calls it dumb Starbucks. He's selling Starbucks coffee for cheap in a shop that looks identical to a Starbucks. The show looks exactly like it, or the, the store looks exactly like it. He makes a ton of money for this guy and eventually has to be forced to stop by Starbucks, who seriously threatened legal action. And I remember when this made news that there was this some dumb Starbucks running in, in California and... And, and, and Starbucks was issuing statements about it. I mean, one of the biggest companies in the world. And it was because it was this show. This was a real stunt done by this documentary show on Comedy Central. Here's a clip from Dumb Starbucks. So I rented a vacant retail space in Las
1: Feliz, California that would serve as the location for the first Dumb Starbucks. Construction began immediately, and it would take at least a week to build the shop. So in the meantime, I posted an ad on Craigslist seeking baristas with Starbucks experience, and after receiving some responses, I met with the applicants to see if they'd be a good fit. When you're interacting with customers, you know it's important to have a good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Do you have a good sense of humor? Yeah, I think so. So let's see some of that. Hi. Hey, how's it going? How's your day? Great. Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. How's the weather? Are you enjoying the weather? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'm not. It's just too warm. And I'm getting over a sickness too, so it's even more warm than I'd like it to be. That's funny. Uh, Thanks.
2: Jeremiah was perfect for the job. I mean, what I love about Nathan for you is this show makes characters of average, mostly kind people. It's a bit exploitative, kind of like Borat or something where the people don't really they don't get it and they don't know they're really in on kind of a joke. But the entire thing is one long joke, not on the people, not on the business owners that he's helping. It's a joke on how people will do anything to make a buck or a name for themselves, and also how stupid customers can be and will do anything to save a dollar, and how dumb media outlets can be that will do almost anything and believe a story and cover anything. I mean, it doesn't matter how ludicrous it is. And that brings me to this season's episode, The Movement. This one really hammers the media and consumers more so than it hammers the business owners in this case, and The Movement might be my favorite episode ever of Nathan for you. Like I said, it was in this season of the show. This shows how willing people are to believe a weight loss story and a new program for dropping pounds. The idea is there's a moving company in California that wants his help. They're not doing enough business and, and all their money is going to pay their employees. So Nathan figures out you could get people. He tells the business owner, you could, he looks around at his employees and realizes that they're all pretty fit guys. He's like, man, this is this is grueling physical work. They're basically getting a workout while they're you know, while they're doing this. And he says, well, a lot of people pay a lot of money to go to the gym. So you could get people to pay you to do your moving for you. So you wouldn't have to pay employees. You'd be getting paid by these people as long as they thought it was a workout and didn't think of it as doing moving. So he, he, he gets this entire elaborate thing going of the movement where he hires this bodybuilder guy to be a spokesperson. This bodybuilder, uh, he, he hires a ghostwriter to write an entire biography about this guy. The, this, the book is so ridiculous. And he, he sends it out to all these media outlets in California. He gets a bunch of requests back for interviews. The guy goes on TV, and then he starts going on more TV and more TV. And everyone wants to interview him about the movement, this thing that, that Nathan Fielder and his writing staff made up. And it's so ridiculous. And this guy's on TV Telling his story, and they're believing every minute of it. It's one of the best half hours of TV you'll see this year. And as it goes on, you get more and more blown away that people could think this was real. Uh, the movement.
0: Yes. How he got that body by never
1: going to a gym. I don't yes. believe it. I don't I'd, believe it either. That's I, I've never been to a gym in my life. And uh, I simply, the, 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 I got this body by simply just moving boxes and furniture. And, um, you know, the story behind that was um, back in my childhood, I was uh, really overweight. And, um, by the way, at that time, I did grow up with a childhood best friend, Steve Jobs. I've um, heard of
0: that guy. Yeah, he yeah. Was,
1: the, the, he he's a, he was a childhood friend. Yes, yes, in Mountain View, California. And uh, you know, back then he he often teased me, but I know that it was a in a way to motivate me because I was just you know I was overweight, uh, didn't like the gym class. Uh, just it was a runaway kind of a runaway train that
2: was starting. So wrapping up and talking about Comedy Central's Nathan for you, it, it's just this is one of those shows that is excruciatingly awkward to watch sometimes, and it can also give you like a feeling in your stomach because of some of the deceptions that Nathan organizes. Um, but but he's so calm and such a well-meaning, nice guy that you don't feel like it's malicious at all. You don't feel like he's he's getting over on these people. The only times I tire of the show, the only thing I don't like about it are when they try to make Nathan into a caricature, like this lonely loser guy. They do that a lot and they'll make him into this lonely loser guy and they'll play that up and I'm just like he doesn't we don't really need that. Those scenes just feel like filler. But the nuts and bolts of what make this show so great are what it can teach you about consumerism, advertising, and business. That's what makes this show outstanding, and it makes it one of Comedy Central's best, most uh, undiscovered series. Again, Nathan, for is in the middle of Season 3 right now on Comedy Central Thursdays at 10. It is streaming on Amazon Prime, and I believe it's streaming on Hulu Plus as well. Uh, seek it out, and definitely seek those three episodes out that I told you about if you want to check this show out. It'll, that, it'll break it down in a nutshell as to why it's so good. And one final note on TV before I take my break and pass it over to Andy, uh, I just I have to mention it again. Fargo Mondays on FX. I keep saying it, but I'm going to reiterate it again. Fargo is the best, most original show on television right now. It's the best show that we've got on TV. It's just it's constantly engaging. The every actor is outstanding. The world is so believable and so unique. And it's just it's, a, it's just a good story that's based in some American truth and then just the rest of it's made up. But it's so gripping um, and just such a good crime story. And I love this show. It, the thing I love about this show is that it does not try to flaunt in your face like how smart it is. And it's not one of those shows like a true detective or something that gets off on showing you how smart of a show it is. It just exists as it is. And it's just written so well. Um, and they're just they're doing great work i I love this show so again fargo mondays on fx couldn't recommend it more you need to be getting into that Um, and and streaming this entire first this entire second season go back and watch it and if you see the first season out there on dvd pick it up for christmas you won't you will not remiss buying that because it was one of the best seasons of tv i've ever seen all right i'm going to go ahead and take a break toss it over to andy sedlak our music editor and we'll find out what he's got to talk about. I'll come back after that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Netflix. They keep cranking out solid shows, um, three new ones in three weeks that are getting a lot of buzz. I'll give you a take on that, and also I've got a boob tube eulogy for you, a show I've talked about here on the stream, Police. Got the axe this week, literally and figuratively. We'll be back uh, after this. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak.
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss there's nothing sadder than when a band breaks up and nobody cares the announcement is usually the same it's with a heavy heart we announce blah 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 only nobody gives a rip. Cobra Starship called it quits last week. Remember them? Their lead singer was a guy named Gabe Saporta. He wrote this long emotional note published on the band's website. I've got it in front of me. I'll read from it right now. Listen to this. I feel like I've lived a hundred lifetimes and that I've learned things that I could have never been taught elsewhere. I was able to connect with people all over the world and from all walks of life. I will take these lessons, experiences, and connections with me wherever I go. Even though it's over, just remember, cobras never say die. No one cared. No Facebook statuses. No tweets of disappointment. The kids weren't worked up. It wasn't covered on E.T. that night. Perez Hilton didn't even comment on it. I'll bet you didn't know that that band broke up until right this minute. It's sad. Hey, my name is Andy Sedlak. I'm the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. Cobra Starship hadn't released an album since 2011. 2011. Uh, there's been sort of a revolving door of musicians in that lineup. The whole thing died a slow death. I did a little research, actually. The band got its start when Saporta posted a parody of Gwen Stefani's Hollaback Girl called, obviously, Hollaback Boy on MySpace. He became buddies with Pete Wentz and was eventually signed to his label. It's like the millennial version of the all-American success story. I I was not a Cobra Starship fan. I didn't like them at all, uh, to tell you the truth, but it struck me that the most memorable tribute to Cobra Starship was written by Cobra Starship. You put in all these hours, the touring, the recording, demands from the record label, the highest of highs, and the fear that it could all end tomorrow, and then when you break up... I remember when Gaslight Anthem broke up a few months back. I now I loved that band, but nobody that I knew was very worked up about that one either. Nobody felt like it was the end of an era like I did. It was it was depressing. This band broke up, nobody cared. It's different for superstars. Do you remember when the White Stripes broke up? People were posting on Facebook. Tributes came pouring in from everywhere. I remember reading one from the Washington Post. Meanwhile, the band members themselves, Jack and Meg, were pretty much emotionless about it. Done. They were moving on. Not like Cobra Starship. Their front man officiated his own funeral, basically. Basically. He says he's moving on to the business side of the record industry, by the way. Good luck to him. But let's hear it one more time, for old times' sake.
1: I make them good girls go. I make them good girls go bad. I make them good girls go Make them
0: good girls good girls now I want to get um, I want to get serious for a second I, I promise it won't be too uh, melodramatic um, but if you listen to this podcast and, and if you read overdue review.com it's probably fair to say that music movies television at some point these things changed your life uh, something you saw or heard had a profound effect on the person you are right this minute uh, you were touched or enlightened or enraged or awakened or something. And it's probably happened to you more than once. My my point is, and the bottom line, is that the arts uh, are a sacred thing. the uh, The terror attacks in Paris were heinous in a number of ways, not the least of which was that they hit... A concert hall. The Eagles of Death Metal from California were in Paris and their audience included a number of Americans. This was likely by design. Uh, these were people like us. They were music lovers in a wonderful venue. On paper, it looks like a great evening uh, for any one of us. A night of music in one of the greatest cities in the world, you know? These people probably went to that show like most of us do they're probably ready to forget their problems for a few hours and soak up the evening and those um th- those bastards just hit us where it hurts the next day bono said this is the first direct hit on music in this so-called war on terror he went on to call it very upsetting attacks at concerts movie theaters this stuff is upsetting bono's right And it could be upsetting or, at the very least, distracting next time you're at a show. You may find yourself thinking, what's that guy over there doing? What's she doing? That's weird. Uh, Here's what I'll say. Beyond the general vigilance that you should take everywhere with you, don't be afraid. Just don't. Don't stop going to shows. Don't stop enjoying them. Don't assume it's safer to stay at home. Don't chalk it up to the times. Don't punt. Go. Have fun. Go listen to the music that you love. And go enjoy the movies that you're passionate about. Just don't give in to all this garbage. Just don't. Huh, all right. Got to cool off. Okay, where do I go from there? Um, I got an email from Tyler Pigman recently asking me if I've been to uh, to Bunbury in Cincinnati. I haven't and I'll tell you I've never been to a music festival. I don't know if I would necessarily be into it shows are one thing in my mind festivals are another you're like 17 miles back from the stage shoulder to shoulder with folks. Numerous bands on the bill. So, whoever you're standing beside, there's a chance they're not even into the band that you were there to see. Outhouses, $4 bottles of water, and a chick in front of you on her boyfriend's shoulders. I don't know. It never appealed to me. I should probably experience it. I should probably go to see if, you know, my theories, my expectations, uh, Hold up. I may go and have the time of my life. I don't know. But it always felt more like recess than than a concert. Straight up shows just seem more orderly. Maybe I'm no fun. I don't know. I think Clint would agree with me though. And from what I understand, Bunbury's reputation is solid amongst those who are festival goers. If you've been... If you have a take on the festival thing, I want you to to hit me up. Journal at gmail.com. S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal, at gmail.com. So the big release this week, Adele has a new album out. My wife purchased it. So I've 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 heard of it, I've heard a little bit, I've heard about half of it. And it sounds it sounds good. It sounds more ballady. I think there are one or two pop hits for sure, like huge, huge not singles, huge pop hits. So she's not going anywhere. As I was listening to the album, she seemed to me like the meatloaf of contemporary pop. And I mean that in a great way. I'm not comparing them physically, okay? I mean, they do this thing, Meatloaf and Adele, and be, the people are going to think I'm slamming Adele, and I'm not, because I'm a big Meatloaf fan. Th- their songs are either 100% spare voice and piano, and it's great, or bombastic and huge in and choirs and, and orchestras and, and horns. Just huge. Adele's new record called 25. It's good music at the end of the day. It may knock Miss Taylor from her throne. (laughs) I mentioned that email from Tyler. He mentioned uh, that he was at the Made in America Festival in Philly. Heard a lot of great EDM music there. He said he was shocked about how powerful dubstep was in concert. And I'm with you, Tyler. I was in New York a few years ago. I was with some friends, and we were popping in and out of shows around the city, smaller venues mostly, but we heard some EDM, and yeah, the bass, the lights, the people when they come together, there is something powerful there, and it's a unique power. It's not something you're going to get at a Garth Brooks show or even at a Rolling Stone show. It's very genre-specific. Tyler asked me for a list of the EDM songs that I mentioned on the show a few weeks back, and we're going to go ahead and post those on the website. We're also going to post all of the songs that we've Recommended to help you build your Stream Police playlist. Stuff from all over, and I mean all over. Again, you'll be able to find all this stuff on the website real soon. Meanwhile, here are five more songs to add to our ultimate playlist. Number five is Soul Glove by Elton John. Then. How do you talk to girls by Rick Springfield?
1: Yeah, we talk about the girls, girls,
0: girls and we talk, talk, talk all night we're sure we're all and but we can't seem to get it right. The artists you know, the songs you don't, folks, it seems to be the theme this time around. How about the All-nighter by Glenn Fry? Then, Outlaw Women by Hank Jr.
2: Outlaw Women.
0: Don't any guns. And finally, a song that I love, written by Little Steven, assisted by the E Street Band, and given life, and I do mean life, by Gary U.S. Bonds. This is called Daddy's Come Home.
1: The country's gotten.
0: I have been listening to that religiously. <laughs> oh, get into Gary U.S. Bonds. Fun, fun music. Uh, now I'll leave you once again with the words of the great Kinky Friedman. A genius is somebody who's ahead of their time and behind on their rent. See ya.
2: As always, thank you very much, Andy. Once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. We'll get back into talking about some stuff on the small screen now. Um, Netflix, got to mention that, the smallest of small screens. Well, I mean, you can watch it on any size screen you want to. Netflix just keeps cranking out solid shows. I mean, when they did House of Cards, it was like, well, everybody thought it was kind of cute that this website uh, streaming service had been able to do a show that was... You know, dark, and it had a, a, an original voice, and they got Kevin Spacey, and they got uh, David Fincher on board. And it was just, it was like, yeah, this is cute. It's, you know, nice job. All right, let's get back to watching HBO and FX and everything now. And you guys go back to streaming uh, B-horror movies and stuff. But then they came out with Orange is the New Black, and and, and then they just kept coming out with good, Emmy-winning, critically acclaimed, and beloved TV series. And it seems like now they've done three in three weeks that are getting a lot of buzz. The company just launched three originals in three straight weeks in the month of November. Two got a lot of buzz and acclaim. The other one is one that I have an affinity for. I'm just now getting into uh, Master of None and Jessica Jones. Um, Jessica Jones just started the weekend I recorded this show. I'm watching both of those shows. I'm going to get to those. I'll probably get to Master of None in the next episode and Jessica Jones shortly thereafter. Um, so I don't want to give takes on them because I haven't seen enough, but I want to take a minute to recognize With Bob and David. This is the third of the three of these shows that Netflix has broken out in the last three weeks. With Bob and David, it's a four-episode episode. Thirty-minute episodes each, sketch comedy series that literally picks up right where HBO's Mr. Show with Bob and David left off in 1998. If you never saw Mr. Show with Bob and David, you're not alone. Um, it was a a little-known kind of series on HBO, right? Literally right before HBO. This this, this show ended in December of '98. The Sopranos hit HBO in 1999, and uh, Sex and the City had just been picking up in 1998. So this was like just as HBO was becoming. A legitimate network was when with Bob, uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David ended its run. The Bob and David in the title are Bob Odenkirk, who you know best as Saul from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad now. But, I mean, he's been a comedy genius for years, written for Saturday Night Live and and, and plenty of other series. And David Cross, who you know best as Tobias Funke from Arrested Development. And he's also he's been a, a stand-up comic for a long time, one of the original alternative comics. Um, In the uh, in the early 90s. But uh, these two guys together and the, the cast of writers and and actors that they have are just they're so good together and they just have such a unique voice and attitude that I love that Netflix decided to pick this show up from this show that ended in 1998 that ran for a few seasons and people liked, but not really anybody watched it. I think it just showed balls on Netflix's part, and I like that they're willing to give chances to shows like this that no other network, HBO wouldn't even give this show a chance, even though it was taking off of a show that they had done to great acclaim. The cast and the writing staff are all back from uh, from Mr. Show. I was looking at the credits, and they're pretty much all the same. Um And it's got the same pace and the same layout as the original show with every sketch bleeding into the next one somehow. That was the big signature thing on Mr. Show. It wasn't just a series of disjointed sketches. you didn't have any commercial breaks, so every sketch would bleed into the next one somehow. sometimes it felt forced, but it was always just it was always funny it, it just made for an easy um, straight through watch that you never wanted to pause. Um, so it's got the same format as I said, and if you didn't see Mr Show, don't sweat it. Um, but you'll dig this show if you like smart, well-written theater-style, like Second City-style sketch comedy with a small cast of players. They are in front of a, uh, of a studio audience for a few of the sketches, and other ones are recorded um, on locations. But uh, it's just—it's got this small cast of players, and everyone is so good, and they're just—they're all just a funny ass group of people. It's not about current events, really. More about character-driven sketches with, like, subtle commentaries about folk ways and and things that we do in life. Uh, In in episode one of With Bob and David, this new Netflix, uh, this short Netflix run, there was a great sketch that uh, was, I would say, the, the first great sketch of this little run that they've had on this new show. It featured a group of buddies, a bunch of guys sitting around playing poker at Poker Night, talking about what things they wanted to accomplish in the new year, basically talking about their New Year's resolutions and whether they made any or not. Here's a little bit from that.
1: Uh, here's a question. Did anybody make a New Year's resolution this year? Oh,
0: uh, Follow-up question.
1: Uh, has anybody kept them? You, <laughs> can Give it to you. Yeah,
0: no kidding. I actually put my house on the market. What? Oh, you're doing it. Yeah, I'm oh. quitting my job at the warehouse. I took Brian out of school. I got plane tickets to Hollywood, and I'm going to do it. Finally, I'm going to direct big-budget,
2: crowd-pleasing, award-winning films. Yeah. Awesome, nice. Kyle, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, thanks, Good for you, man. Yeah, I mean, Wait, I'm excited. I'm sorry. So, Kyle, you're just going to become a major Hollywood director? Yeah, Mike, <laughs> keep up.
2: Yeah, uh, me, I'm doing it too, man, for real. Uh, no. Tanya's let me take over the basement, sold the truck, got a pallet of bromine. Buddy. Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start my own cell phone company. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, simple. Just, you know, design a phone, build a phone, sort out the, you know, cellular signal thing, thing. Yeah, whatever yeah, that's retirement. called, yeah. And then, boom, tough titties, Samsung. There's a new kid on the block. <laughs> All, All
1: right. right. Good for well, you, done, You know that Samsung is like a huge company, right? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I know that. Well, how are you going to outsell them? Because
2: it's going to be a better product, asshole. <laughs> you know, it's going to have a camera with a zoom lens. It's going to take apps and th- nice. just a better money. <laughs> Use your ears to listen. It's just one of those sketches that you're waiting, uh, wondering, what is what is the joke going to be here? And when you realize it, it's just so funny and they stick to it and it's so well done and smart and just it gets vicious. At a certain point. And that's one of the things that is great about Mr. Show and this this new show with Bob and David um, on uh, on Netflix. And once again, it's only four episodes. Each one's 30 minutes. So if you love this kind of comedy, uh, give with Bob and David a chance. And if you'd like with Bob and David and you never saw Mr. Show, you will love Mr. Show, it is absolutely one of those shows that I hold dear. It's like one of my TV Bibles. Um, I'll have thoughts on uh, on Master of None and Jessica Jones, as I said, in the next uh, few episodes. But uh, right now, I just wanted to point the spotlight for a minute on with Bob and David because I feel like it was getting lost in all the talk about these other two shows. Okay, speaking of comedy um, and, and and comedies that'll just that, that we are thankful for here on uh, this Thanksgiving edition of the Stream Police the Writers Guild of America recently released their 101 funniest scripts so this was the the the, the Writers Guild is the union of 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 people who write TV shows write uh, films and you know this is this is a group of people who know writing for TV and movies better than anyone cuz these are the guys that do it these are the peers so they put out, they voted on a list of the 101 funniest scripts, according to the WGA. And let me say, it was a very, very solid list. They pretty much hit every title you'd expect to be on a list like this. But as with any list, we can nitpick the order all day long. And we can nitpick a few that we're missing, and I'm going to right now. The biggest one that I was disappointed not to see on this list, 101 funniest scripts of all time. Tropic Thunder was not on the list. This is one of those scripts. Justin Theroux wrote this. Uh, Mr. Jennifer Aniston. And it is such a funny-ass movie. One, it's just joke after joke. So many tropes about action films and, and drama. and Just Hollywood in general. Thrown into this movie. It's absolutely one of the funniest comedies of the last ten years. And definitely one of the funniest scripts ever. And I feel like it certainly should have been on the 101 funniest scripts of all time. I was really disappointed to not see Tropic Thunder uh, make the list, especially when Shakespeare and Love makes the damn list.
1: Everybody knows you never go full retarded. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Ray Man,
2: look retarded, act retarded, not retarded. Cat two picks, cheated cards, artistic Sure, Not retarded. You got time hangs, force gump. Slow, yes, retarded maybe, braces on his legs, but he trying the pants off next to him to won a ping-pong competition. That ain't retarded. He was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes?
0: You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. You don't
2: buy that? That's Sean Penn, two thousand one. I am Sam. Remember, went full retard. Went home empty handed. That disappointed me. But uh, a couple other ones. Team America was not on the list. Again, I would, I'd call that one of the funniest. Uh, one of the funniest movies, especially how topical it was. Post nine uh, eleven, knocked up. Very funny script wasn't on the list, and Woody Allen's Zelig was not on the list either. Which that's a very obscure movie, but I, I, I'm a huge Woody Allen fan, and I love that one. It's just, it's very original um, for its day. Now, in a day where we've done plenty, we've seen plenty of mockumentaries done and done to death. It, it kind of seems passe, but it's it's an outstanding movie. If you ever. Uh, if you like those kind of films, definitely check out Zelig. And if you like Woody Allen, uh, look it up as well. But the 101 uh, Funniest Screenplays, very good list. As I said, number one on the WGA's list was Annie Hall. And if you know me, I don't know if I've even talked about Annie Hall on this show, but that is one of my absolute favorite movies. If you look at the com on our Who Writes This Stuff section, uh, I've listed my five favorite films, and Annie Hall's right there in the top five. I, it has always been one of those movies that I have worshipped. Since the first time I saw it, and it never gets old. Uh, The rest of the top ten, we've got Some Like It Hot, 1959 Billy Wilder, definitely funny. Groundhog Day from 1993, it's number three. Airplane, how can you argue with that? Tootsies, number five, that's a little high for that one if you ask me. Man and Drag. I mean, come on. Young Frankenstein, number six. That can't be high enough. Number seven, Dr. Strangelove. I told you a few episodes ago in uh, the show where I talked about beloved movies I don't like that much. Dr. Strangelove, I don't think it's that funny. I wouldn't have put it in the top ten. I probably wouldn't have put it in my top hundred. Blazing Saddles uh, is number eight. That should probably be higher. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, number nine. And National Lampoon's Animal House is number ten. Uh, Spinal Tap does not make the top 10. Neither does The Big Lebowski, which came in at number 13. I would have definitely had Lebowski in my top three funniest screenplays of all time. The newest movie to be high on the list is Bridesmaids, written by um, written by Annie Momolo and Kristen Wiig. That is uh, number 16. Think about that. That movie came out in 2011. Very funny movie. Very good movie. Jumped up to the 16th funniest screenplay of all time. And I think that's just a, shows you just how original that movie was. But they, they hit all the really the ones that I wanted to see make this list. As I said, Lebowski, there's something about Mary's on here, A Fish Called Wanda, um, a, a Caddyshack, of course, which was number 25, should be much higher than that. Um, the Graduate, Life of Brian, Borat is number 29, again, should be much higher. The Hangover, 40 year old virgin. Um, Trading Places, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is more of a bummer than it is a comedy, in my opinion. Rushmore, Waiting for Guffman. Very funny movies. They're all on here, and uh, some of them just should be higher. I feel like Office Space should be much higher. I feel like National Lampoon's Vacation should be way higher. That should probably should be in the top ten. But it was a good list, and I think WGA did a nice job. If you uh, seek it out there, um, you, can go to, you can just search WGA 101 Funniest Scripts. Or WGA funniest scripts and uh, and look at the list and let me know which ones you felt like should have been on there that weren't there or which ones that were on the list should not have been on the list. But I, overall, I think it was a very I think it was a very good list. And it's amazing when you think about that. Comedy is one of the oldest genres of of cinema. It it might be the oldest genre of film at least. I mean, they've been making comedies for a hundred years now in Hollywood and. There's only a hundred and one funny scripts, and really, I could only think of like three or four to add on there. I mean, that's incredible, right? There really haven't been that many that are that great over the years, and that's kind of a sad thing. But I'm sure you could think of a couple more as as I did. All right, I'm going to wrap the show up here on kind of a, a downer note. Let's let's put our black on, ladies, lower your veil, um, and pull out the book of faith of your choosing. It's time for a boob tube eulogy. <laughs> Yes, we bid farewell, friends, to another series scrapped in 2015. The Bastard Executioner, FX, literally executed this show about an executioner after one very short season. I talked about this show uh, when I gave my Fall TV preview. It was one of the ten shows I listed that I was very intrigued in and interested in. And I watched the show from the beginning, and I've stuck with it all the way through. And I was disappointed to hear FX lower the axe on this one, once again, pun intended. But I get it, you know, it's an ambitious show, it's, it's probably an expensive make, and it does have its problems, and it's not particularly uh, an engrossing watch that I was like really always just like chomping at the bit to check out the next episode. But it was certainly better than a lot of things that I see on TV, and it had great acting. That's the big strong point of The Bastard Executioner. I hope it launches a couple big acting careers. Uh, this show, though, was Kurt Sutter, uh, his hasty follow-up to Sons of Anarchy. He was the creator of that series. That was FX's most-watched series of all time. So they gave Sutter, of course, like an immediate order to let him make this show that he wanted to make right, pretty much a year after Sons of Anarchy ended, which is crazy. When you think about how fast he got on this show, it's been a season of TV 2015 has where cancellations have been very rare, very few and far between. And Bastard certainly was not the worst thing on TV, but it clearly was not embraced like the network had hoped it would be. So Bastard Executioner, we fare thee well. Uh, Good luck out there in the TV wasteland. All right, that's going to do it for the Stream Police podcast for this week. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. We'll be getting back to it here in a couple weeks. And coming up, we're going to have Christmas movie season. We'll be talking Christmas films. If you want to send me emails with your favorite Christmas movies, um, I'll talk about them, and I'll certainly be talking about some of mine and maybe any good stories that you have about them, ones that you watch every year. uh, Send them to me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can also mention us and follow us on Twitter at overdue underscore review thank you guys very much for listening and thank you to uh, our music editor andy sedlak for his two cents as well and uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks i'm clint davis again signing off good luck out there my friends the stream police podcast is a production of OverdueReview.com. since 2013 the staff at overdue review have written thoughtful unpretentious opinions on hundreds of movies tv shows and music from every era Overdue review, better late.